0: Old Stoke Cold Steve Austin coming at you with another introduction to Our Wrestling Podcast because I know how much some of you jackasses love it when Old Stoke Cold Steve Austin introduces Our Wrestling Podcast. But I will keep it short without further ado. The Fall Away Podcast is scheduled for one fall. And today's topic, The Legacy of Mick Foley Part 1. And don't forget, you can catch us on all major streaming platforms. Spotify, SoundCloud, YouTube, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, and we are now part of Google Podcast. That's right, you Android users. For those of you that prefer Android over any other device, you can now find us on Google Podcast, Our wrestling podcast. And I believe Abraham has a message for all of you for this particular episode.
1: Welcome to the OWP. This is our wrestling podcast. This is Dave along with Jess. That's not true. And Craig. Bang, bang. Bringing you our perspective on the world of professional wrestling. No inside sources, no ties to the industry, just stories from the diehards sharing opinions with you. And now on to our topic today, the legacy of Mick Foley. Hit us up on Instagram at OWP2019. Click on Linktree. You can find us on several platforms. Including Apple, Spotify, SoundCloud, YouTube, iHeartRadio, and Stitcher, and guess what, guys? We are now part of the WrestleHub family, which is all about wrestling podcasts out there. Uh, check them out at WrestleHub on YouTube and Instagram. What's up, guys? Hello, Dave. Hello. What's going on? I'm.
2: You know, this is. Uh, this is going to be an emotional legacy for me because there's so much here. I. I have felt regret, and I have not told anybody about it since we did the Steve Austin legacy. Steve Austin is Steve Austin, right? Arguably the greatest wrestler ever. Uh, Definitely, arguably one of the biggest attractions out there ever, like in the industry, ever. And we did it, and I remember listening back to it, and I wanted to kick myself because we forgot to talk about the beer truck incident and the Zamboni incident. And I was like, we we were young. I was like, man, like, how could we do a legacy of Steve Austin uh, and and not cover that? And so then I started thinking about some of our past legacies. And we tried a two-part legacy with Macho Man back in the day. And for some odd reason, we soured on it. Um, But we might be doing that with Mick Foley here. So you could be hearing part one right now. And we could come back with a part two because... I don't know. I'm tossed. I don't necessarily want to do a two hour episode, but I mean, Foley just making the notes here um, is easily that run, right? Is easily that time spent talking about his career. He has done so much and he has done so much for every major promotion that there has been, that's been relevant in the last 25 years. And I, uh, I just don't want to cut this short. I want to make sure it's, it counts because uh
1: whatever oh, we'll we'll do it we'll do it justice and we'll do it right you know that yeah everything that, know, that he's we, we done were, we were young and dumb on the podcast world back then and we'll we'll get it right everything he's done so like
2: it is we were talking about this off the air he's so calculated with his characters and his movements and his promos and i feel like it, he had to be his up. career i think plays out like that there was no wasted movement everything meant something meant something so Important to him, like, and then we felt that from him by seeing that come across the screen through his character.
3: Yeah, I think one thing you're never going to be able to do on a legacy of Mick Foley is please everybody. I think Mick Foley means um, so much to so many people. And when you first started to, to like him or become a fan of him and relate to him. Uh, I think just in this podcast alone, you have those hardcore guys that are just going to talk about his time in IWA in Japan, his ECW fans, WCW, WF. You're never going to spend enough time on uh, on their piece of when they loved him, when they fell in love with him, or when they his most memorable moment. So it's a tough one, but we're just going to try and honor Mick in his 25-year d- uh, career and everything he's done inside and out of the ring.
1: There you go. You guys ready? Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's get into the uh, what well, my notes say. The early shit. Michael Francis Foley was born on June seventh, nineteen sixty-five. He's fifty-four years old in Bloomington, Indiana. Well, <laughs> that's too bad. He played the cross and he wrestled in high school. His college years, he actually attended live pro wrestling events. Uh, one of them was at Madison Square Garden, where he actually witnessed the famous Superfly Shuby Shuby Shubi, Shubi Wah. Jimmy Snuka splashed from the top of the cage onto Don Morocco, which by the way, guys, back then that was insane to do a splash off the top of the cage. I don't think anybody understands how big of a deal that was back in the, gosh, the eighties, right? Or what? Late seventies, maybe at that point, that moment inspired him to become a pro wrestler. What say you?
2: Yeah, no, it was, it was in the eighties. I want to say it was 83 or something like that. Um, uh, I should know the date of that moment, but uh, I don't, but, uh, it's also awesome too, because not only was he there, but when they show, when they've done vignettes on McFoley, you know, his career during the years, they can pause the footage and circle him in the crowd. You can actually see him in the Madison square garden crowd, uh, seeing that, oh, awesome. that legendary Intercontinental Championship match in the steel cage where Don Morocco would win the match and defend his title, but Snuka would get even with him and slam him in the middle of the cage and get climb up on top of the steel cage and do his Super fly splash on it. And people talked about that for years and years and years. Now, you know, people literally fall off the WWF headquarters, and that's a stunt now. But uh, back then, like everything was settled in the ring and to see him do that splash. It's like where, where cameras were a thing, all the flash bulbs, like it was, it was really cool. And he got to see that live and that inspired him. That made him want to become a pro wrestler at that point. He loved the, the drama.
3: And I think what's cool about Mick Foley is this is, he was one of the first wrestlers. I think Matt Hardy and the Hardy boys came kind of after that, but that I remember you seeing footage from their childhood of doing what we did. You were talking and listening to three guys that videotaped themselves, that messed around with mattresses and roped off the living room. And, uh, um, Jeff, was 50, 50 booking. Jess did a lot of, I think in the house and on the ring, but, uh, (laughs) but Mick Foley, um, Mick Foley was like that. You saw footage of him jumping off his garage as a kid and showing that love, uh, of wrestling Mm -hmm. that you have. I think he's one of the first guys to let you in and expose kind of the, the love of uh, the origins of wrestling like that. And then that's why you relate to him and love him like you do. So I think there's a component to
1: you. I guarantee you if, if we had, if we had gotten a hold of his tapes, when we built our own ring, he would have been glad to come and hang out with us. Yeah. That's just, that's where he was, and he loved it. We he had a better
3: ring. He was more, more of a daredevil jumping off a roof on two mattresses, but we actually had a yeah. ring with ropes. Yeah, yeah we actually did military. build our – we yeah. built our own 19 by 19. Yeah. We actually did that, so. But, like, you can relate yeah, to him, and you see, like, I could kind of no be big him. Deal. I'll, I'm going to live through this guy because I can kind of be him, and he's a guy that hitchhiked to Madison Square Garden from Long Island, um, New York guy, like – the story's there, and you can see in, in the packages and footages of in retrospectives of his career, all that stuff is there. He was one of the first guys that you can see the origins of him as a kid on video or VHS. It was kind of cool.
1: That's awesome. When we get into his early career, he began training in nineteen eighty-three at Dominic
2: Din Did I yeah, say that? I think right?
1: Denushi. De, 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 De De De, De what? <laughs> In Pennsylvania, and he would debut there in the same year. He would get the opportunity to wrestle for the WWF as local enhancement talent for their top-named stars. And during one of those matches in 86, Foley would wrestle in a tag match against the British Bulldogs where he famously had his jaw broken due to a stiff clothesline from Dynamite Kid. I think we've all established pretty well that Dynamite Kid is a piece of shit. Um,
2: you well, you have, soul, right? you put an yeah. exclamation point on yeah. that right now. Uh, yeah, he was, uh, he um, was let, a bully. Yeah, get into it, please. He was a bully, and uh, he was known for being assholes to enhancement talent. And fully in his book, Have a Nice Day, uh, still available on Amazon, um, talked about how he was so excited. You know, he's learning how to wrestle. He somehow got an in with the training camp that he was at to be a local enhancement. You know, the jobbers that we'd watch on Saturday morning wrestling all the time.
3: Prelimbs, and so he
2: gets in. there and they look at the schedule board and they're like, he's like, Oh man, I get, I get, we're taking on the British bulldogs. So he went to the locker room, approached them. And he said, Davey boy was fairly cool, you know, but, Dave, but he was still standoffish because they were the British bulldogs. They were famous at that point. And um, he, Oh, Hey guys, how you doing? Like my name's uh, Mick Foley. I'm going to be, you know, against you guys. You let me know whatever you guys want to do. I got this spot. I could do. I got this spot. I could do. And he said, he, he and even his book, he was super naive. You know, to yeah. do that, and they were looking at oh, yeah, it. Like, uh-huh, thanks, uh-huh. Yeah, have
0: fun. We'll have fun out there, yeah. Get your shit Yes. Right. Yeah, shit yeah. We'll that's exactly like, what they're yeah. saying.
2: Like, oh, you know, great. Yeah, they were totally like being completely like sarcastic with Foley. Oh, yeah, you know, we're gonna have a great time out there, huh? Yeah, totally. Knowing dynamite, knowing right there that I'm gonna smash this guy. Like, and you go back and watch the entire match, they fucking did everything. Davy Boy was stiff, but you could tell Davy Boy was controlled. Dynamite was trying to take his head off, like, with almost every move. His back suplexes that he did, the snap suplexes, he was just destroying Mick Foley in there. And that clothesline, Foley couldn't even bump right for it because he said it it hurt so bad and it was so strong that he just took it like a regular person would and crumbled. He didn't bump, he crumbled. And, like, because he got hit so hard with it. And, uh, I mean, not cool on Dynamite's part, but, uh, yeah, Foley's like, my parents were there to see me because I'm... I'm wrestling for the world wrestling federation. So they right. came to see me and he remembers after talking with them, oh. his jaw hurt so bad, which later he would find out that it was fractured. Um, he couldn't even open it and talk. So he had to like fake that he was like selling an injury or whatever or something. Oh, it's all a show. It's all a show. But he was really fucked up bad. And,
3: and it he, sucks and he, that that started. He was Jack Foley named after his dad. Right. Who was like a high school gym teacher or coach at that time. I yes. Think, right.
2: Yeah. 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 Uh, so yeah, uh, that's well, how he unfortunately you, got to, uh, Got reared in the business and pretty much taught that. Yeah, you don't uh, it's not it's not necessarily all fun and games, like there are people in there that will yeah
4: introducing from Bloomington, Indiana, weighing 242 pounds, Jack Foley. His tag team partner from Manchester, England, weighing 228 pounds less Forton. Look at this. Ooh, wow. Dynamite with the quickest perhaps.
3: No. And at that point, I remember he made a decision at that point. Up. He said, I will never put my body on the line again for. <laughs> no, I'm, yes, just right. no, I'm just yeah, kidding.
1: Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
3: I will always protect myself. I will myself never. Oh, moving oh, forward for the rest
1: of my <laughs> life. And, and Craig, I uh, I apologize for, for saying that Dynamite was a piece of shit right when you took a drink and you almost killed yeah, yourself. I apologize. He was a piece of shit. I saw that. I was like, oh, no. <laughs> So, all right. So, between eighty-three and ninety-one, Foley had stints in Bill Watts, uh, UWF, CWA, WCW as Cactus Jack Manson. He would also compete in WCW in nineteen ninety as Cactus Jack. That's, I think, where a lot of us started to really see what he was all about. He would team with random enhancement talent and face bigger team names. Um, after his partner would lose the match, he would attack him and drop an elbow onto him from the apron onto the concrete floor. His big signal moments came at Clash of the Champions 10, where he would lose to uh, Mill Mascarazzi. No Yob. No
2: Yob.
1: No Yob. Yep. No Yob. No uh, however, during the match, Mill would knock fully off the apron to the outside, where he would take a full bump onto the concrete floor. God, Mick, what are you doing? This caused everyone in the back to take note and told the story that Cactus Jack was indestructible and enjoyed the pain. Right. He would wrestle for the new UWF in ninety one before jo- before joining WCW full time. Anything about uh, that? That the, was a big, you know.
2: This is where it starts. Like at, these are like little milestones that you hit, and I think Foley's career is full of specific milestones. I spoke earlier about how he was very like deliberate with every move. He didn't have a wasted movement. He didn't have a wasted promo, a wasted word in that promo. You know, Foley was always very calculated. That that bump defined him that back bump from the fucking apron onto the fucking concrete. Every time we saw it, and he did it multiple times throughout his career. We're like, God damn it. Like, why are you doing that? Like, but it made him It was I don't I think it was Kevin Sullivan who got him into WCW that first time. And Kevin Sullivan gave him that idea. Hey, look, you know, we're going to use his enhancement talent, but why don't you, what we'll do is we'll have a cool gimmick with you. We'll have, we'll put you with another enhancement talent. You're going to lose to the bigger name tag team. Um, but then afterwards, you're going to attack them because you're pissed off that they lost. And so like, you're going to drop your elbow on the concrete. That was the first milestone. The second one was against Mil Mascaris, where Mil Mascaris is a dickhole in real life. He's a big legend in Mexico and they did this class of champion from texas which had a lot of like hispanic followers for him there so wcw is like oh we'll get him over here for this match and you know we'll maybe draw some some crowd with him or whatever so they put him with foley because they're like look the loss won't hurt foley but they did run it by him in the back where they're just like hey can we put this kid over on you how do you want to do this night no job. And he was famous for saying no job, which is no job and um as so affectionately told on bruce's podcast so yep. basically what uh sullivan and Cornette talked to him about before, was like, "Uh, you, you said you do this move where you back bump onto the concrete from the apron. Are you serious? And he's like, yes. And they're like, do it here. And he's like, you sure? He's like, yes. If you're going to job to this guy and he's going to fucking be like that, you need to be the one they remember from this match. And he did. And Jim Cornette was comment uh commentating with jim ross and he said you know jim Cornette said many times i made sure i put it over like he was dead and there's no way this guy was going to get up and how the how is he getting up how the fuck is this happening and so jim Cornette put him over because he was like that i that people were already liking Foley in the back is my point at this time and sullivan and Cornette were a big Can't fans of his that. and they were like dude you got to do stuff that is going to get you over so these sick things that you do this elbow drop onto the concrete on the outside. No one's seen that before. Um, and people started recognizing Foley about, oh, you're the guy who does the elbow on the concrete. Like people started referring to Foley as that guy when he would go into certain locker rooms back here. So these those were two milestones that hit right away in 1990. The the um elbow on the floor, uh, you know, on the concrete, and then him taking the back bump onto the concrete were two things that got people to go, what? And at least some people, we're like, you got to watch yeah. this guy. This guy's something.
0: Oh, God, right on the concrete, right on the back of his head on the concrete.
3: Yeah. And and it actually started other than Jim Cornette. It started a whole three year period for. Mick Foley, where he would do those things and then it not they did not tell the story properly or they did not sell the move properly. So he took right. this move and took risks and killed himself for nothing, for mockery for 10 seconds, for something that didn't serve him, that didn't get him over. Uh, but I think the people watching at home kind of always saw that stuff. And incidentally, mescaras is actually um, Spanish for dick holes. So Mil Mascaras <laughs> means thousand dick holes. Weird. Cool. Uh, In, uh, so, 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 thousand dickholes yeah. In English. So that's funny.
1: That's um, weird. Yeah. But, but I'll tell you, I mean, not only did the fans take notice, like you said, the back took notice and when Foley gets put, into WCW, he gets put directly into a feud with Sting in 1991. We've talked about Sting several times, where he'll look at something and he'll go, "Okay, I'll do that." Um, very flexible, um, as long as you can trust someone in the ring to take care of him. I don't think Sting had any issue with any idea, as long as it made sense. And guess what? Foley's a pretty smart guy, and he and Sting had a great chemistry, and it led to other wrestlers trusting him, and that kind of gets more into open of the style of of wrestling that, that Mick does, right? Because, you know, Mick's not about what's in the ring. It's more about what's outside of the ring, and it kind of changes the game, right? Yes or no? What do you think?
2: Sting and Sting in an odd way was kind of, you know, another milestone in the sense of like, or he opens the door or blip right? because Sting wasn't selfish. And there, and I want to say it was in have a nice day as well. He said he had a conversation with Sting. So when he learned he was going to face Sting, he's like, I'm going to, can I do my thing to you where I drop the elbow on the outside? And Sting's like, I'm a top guy. Why would I let you do that? And he was like, I don't know. I mean, it, cause it makes sense and it's cool. And then Sting looked at him. He's like, okay. Like, and he was like, that's fine. He's all Sting just wanted to make sure that I wasn't, that I was talking sense that I had a plan and, and, and Sting's like, all right, let's do that. And you're going to cover the big match here where he, this is like Foley's first big marquee match in WCW. I'll let you take it. Yeah. uh,
1: In 92. Yeah. Sting and Cactus had a false count anywhere match at beach blast. uh pay-per-view. It was the best match on the show. And would be Foley's personal favorite match until 1996. I mean, Falls Count Anywhere is really you're playing you're playing Cactus's tune here, right? This is this is where he shines. He can get so creative. Hate to say it, Cactus Shack even running the ring ropes at this point is not the best thing in the world. So taking it to where it can be more creative outside is his bag of beans, no?
3: Yeah, and credit to, and then matches like this and specialty matches, credit to Mick Foley. His reputation is always someone who you can work with, you can trust. Um, Sting immediately starts out with him in WCW, and then we'll talk about this way, way down the road. But WWF, Undertaker's trusted in his first big feud uh, in WWF. So, like, already out of the gate, showing trust and and making money with uh, I, I probably the, the two biggest guys in each of the federations, and kudos to Mick Foley and to both come out of it uh, looking like a star.
2: So, Bill Watts was, you know, Booker in WCW during this time in 1992, and albeit I think it only lasted like nine or 10 months total, but uh, he was changing a lot of shit in WCW backstage at the time and pissing a lot of guys off. Well, Beach Blast was, like, the first, I think, fully pay-per-view under his control or second or something like that. So Foley was nervous because he was just like, well, I got to go out here with Sting and that's the world champion. I think they were on in the middle of the card. They weren't even the main event. And... um Mm. And uh, so, but Foley's like, I have to, it's my match. It's a Falls Count Anywhere match. So I can do, I got to shine here. And and Foley's like, I felt really good about it. I felt awesome when we were doing it. When the match ended, I was like, wow, it was good. And when he walked back, he said, Bill Watts stopped everything he was doing when Foley walked back and he yelled to everyone in the locker room. He's like, I I hope everyone watched that because that's the fucking way you do it. And Foley was like, yes yes like bill watts who had been like this dick coming into wcw backstage he was stirring the pot and you know making people uncomfortable and he liked chaos behind the stage that's way bill watts always kind of booked and worked when he owned territories um he was just like so he saw he liked it and of course he got fired like four months later but everybody did in wcw at that point but um but yeah for those that don't know
3: what were some of bill watts's rules like it was so opposite of what you thought wrestling should be yeah he came in in
2: there uh you, yeah, you couldn't jump off the top rope onto a prone opponent. So if Mach-Man was in WCW, he would have to change his finisher, legitly, because you could not jump off the top rope to a prone. You opponent. You couldn't
1: throw anybody over the top rope either. Well, right? that was always
2: or a WCW no. thing. That was, that was it, that to that Bill Watts' defense. Yeah. That wasn't his, uh, you know, stupidity. Uh, T- take the, took, I'm so
1: sorry. I made you. He, he I took all you to the mats. You know, take WCW. The mats <laughs>
2: You know, WWF had the bright blue mats around the outside of the ring. I don't want those. I want want it all concrete. Yeah, I want it all concrete on the outside. So, you know, if you get thrown outside, it's dangerous. That's concrete. I want it visual. But it made it look like a fucking... Yeah, yeah, it made it look like a fucking indie promotion when he would do that. And he would would turn the lights down on the crowd. So the spotlight would be on the ring because the stars are in the ring. Well, so now you have... Concrete exposed on the outside of the ring, just a spotlight, the crowd dark.
1: looks like nobody's yeah, there. Yeah, it looks yeah. like nobody's
2: there. It looks like a fucking like, independent promotion. That was Bill Watts' big vision for WCW, which, like I, I said, like said, flopped. I that
4: to be the greatest match of my career. Sting was genuinely flattered to hear me say that, and he'd occasionally ask me after other big matches, was mine still your favorite? I think he was actually saddened when he heard that another one replaced it. It was almost as if he were the queen in Snow White and the magic mirror broke the bad news. I couldn't stop thinking about that match all the way on the 400 mile drive home. I had the top down on my 84 Chrysler and life was good. My health was good. I'd just torn the roof off the Mobile Civic Center. I had a beautiful wife and son and I was making six effing figures a year. A month later, we bought flopped a three- louder oh, than shit. A if you know what I'm talking Victorian about, Dave. With no, that's too bad.
1: <laughs> yeah, but to your point, you know, we, we always get off on a run on Bill Watts. Goddamn it, every time we just we hate it. Let's hook him up. Hook have. him up. <laughs> after turning face early in 1993, Foley had a feud with Mr. Wonderful Paul Orndorff, which led to a fun brawl at Super Bowl 3 in February. So, real quick, I know and I know so, you're going go to go into the Vader yeah.
2: thing. I don't mean to cut you off. I'm sorry, but you're I do gonna, have to note that match because. I think, I think you remember this Craig. Cause I want to say we watched it a lot and uh, he did. It was, it was another falls count in match, I think with Orndorff and uh, they worked together really well. And it, there was a spot here where Orndorff they're on the outside of the ring and they're going down the aisle and the, you know, the guardrail, I don't think they had a ramp here at this time. I don't, I want to say super bowl three did not have a ramp. And so they went to the aisle and he suplexed to make Foley, Paul Orndorff did to where? Imagine, okay, imagine the metal guardrail, right? Remember that you just around the ring. He suplexed fully on it toward the the yeah. the middle of Foley's back, bent over the guardrail. So imagine me yeah. suplexing you over the top of the fucking guardrail, but you your body lands perfectly in the middle of the guardrail, if that or the guardrail lands in the middle of your body. Yeah, and I the way Foley took that bump, you'll go back and watch it now, and he's totally in control. But we saw that and we're like. Mick is fucking insane in the best way possible. Like yeah. that was fucking well, nuts. Like when we saw that, Mick, we're like, Mick oh. just,
1: Mick just want, didn't want to pay for a chiropractor. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, right. My,
3: my That's what it was. Like you're like, you kind of, you're watching, you're like, Orndra is kind of an asshole, but like, obviously like he called it, <laughs> let him do it. And that was his thing. Like he would yeah. do kind of guardrail stuff. Mick Foley would let people do guardrail stuff all the time, but yet yeah, to where the feet don't land first, it's literally on the middle of the spine And then you just kind of rocket your back forward after that. It was brutal. It's a brutal spot. And not to be rude to
2: Foley, but Foley was not in great shape, right? I mean, he was like, you know, 300 pounds. He was doughy. And I don't mean that to be rude, but like how amazing it was that he was in control of his body. He understood like momentum and the way you flip. He understood it. And so just taking that, you would think you would have to be some great athlete to do it, but Foley was always like this. I'm not trying to be, he'll say it himself, like a roly poly kind of body, but he was so gifted and he understood just the way, like I said, momentum worked and everything that he could take these bumps. He would just imagine them in his head. And he's like, I could probably fucking swing that shit. Like, and he would do it and he would just be like, Hey, I want you to suplex me. on top of the guardrail and uh, Mr. Wonderful's like excuse me Mr. Wonderful says what and he's like "I no go ahead just do it I'm fine just I'll let go of me at a certain time and I'll take the bump don't worry and they're like all right and yeah he would let the nasty
3: boys do that too he would let the nasty boys kind of run him where he almost straddled almost victory rolled on the guardrail on top of the guardrail and over like he just let him go He's a magician. It was good.
2: He was awesome. So yeah, go ahead, Dave. Sorry. I just I, that no, that, no, was fun, that was a fun that was a fun match we're, we're from Super Bowl three. Some. Go back and watch that if you get a chance. A yeah. lot of people don't talk about Mr. Wonderful and, and Cactus Jack. It's a great fun match. It's really good.
1: Because we're going to get into something pretty in depth in a moment. On April 6, 1993, Mick would challenge Vader for the WCW World Heavyweight Championship, despite being severely beaten by beaten by the Mastodon. Foley would win by count out. During the rematch on April 24th in 93, Harley Race would remove the padding surrounding the ring to expose the concrete. Vader actually power bombs Foley onto the exposed concrete floor. As Storyline would say, Cactus Shack would be out for several months due to injury, but in real life, he was legitimately injured. He was injured for real. Uh, these injuries include a concussion and a temporary loss of feeling. In his left foot. Um, again, I, I don't know if I want to blame Vader for this. I, I think these guys are doing what they're told. But that's just obscenely dangerous um, as, you know, as far as I see it. Um, instead of p- playing the injury seriously, as agreed on by WCW management, they decided to turn it into you know a comedy storyline where several vignettes were shown of Cactus Jack having amnesia and living in the streets. Which sounds fun, but I, I mean... They could have made it a little more realistic. No, um, I, I'll, t- I'll Stevens, tell you right now, uh, uh, you finished was the sentence, like, There was nothing, there's be-
2: nothing fun about these vignettes at all.
1: These skits will be titled <laughs> Lost in <laughs> Cleveland.
0: race is done? He's pulled up the mats. Wait a minute. Race is telling Vader something. That's the concrete, Tony. Race has removed the mats. If he power bombs him here gently, he'll kill him. Oh, whoa, No! no, no, no. This
2: this started the strain of Foley because they're they're trusting him here to go against the world champion Vader and knowing just me saying that out loud people are going to get punched in the face for real and that's you just know when you put those two together. That was Foley's it's Vader. Foley's Fun. idea was to get Powerbomb because they told Foley that you're going to we're going to put you in a program with Vader and it'll be you'll have a pay-per-view payoff at one point. So Foley's like he's going to fucking powerbomb me on the outside. Like I have to. I he's going to do his finisher on the outside. It's going to fuck me up, but he's like, we're going to play it off like it's a real injury, but I'm going to come back from it. I'm going to show some humanity. The crowd's going to sympathize with him, and then they're going to be so thirsty for Cactus to fucking finally come back and be the maniac and go after Vader and kill him because Vader's been bullying people for the last year, you know? Um, so instead, WCW like, what if we hear me out? We produce vignettes <laughs> where you have amnesia. Okay, And we'll do like, you know, three or four weeks in a row of these. So what WCW did, because this is fucking Bischoff's fault. Bischoff was pushed, pushing production for everything good that Bischoff did for the arenas and lit them up and, you know, put the bright mats back on the outside of the ring and, and tried to make the product look more, you know, more high class. He failed in the production vignette department because Bischoff was just trying to find his ground to his defense. So they did. They did these in the same vein that they fucking did. Uh, you know the remember the beach blast promotion in nineteen ninety three where Sid and Vader were on the beach in flip flops yeah. and a midget planted a bomb on a okay. boat. It was like a, it was like a mini movie. Yeah. And then they also did the White Castle of Fear in February of ninety three. So this was after, this was between that. So they said, why don't we do these vignettes where they literally don't? They didn't use Missy Hyatt or some other like interviewer that they had. They literally filmed it like it was like a like a, a mini movie. So they hired an actress to play a reporter that was going out on the streets looking for Cactus Jack from some news fucking department. They made up the news uh uh um network And so they're going out. She's interviewing obvious actors. Then they finally find him like living with a bunch of homeless people by these trash cans and all that stuff. And he didn't know she would call him. Hey, Cactus, Cactus. I don't know who Cactus is. They hired actresses and actors to play his wife and children. And I I brought your wife and children here with you. Oh, Mick, come home. Or, you know, Cactus, come home. Oh, my God. That's right. Oh, my God. It's like daddy's Daddy. Yeah, daddy, the kids are all daddy, daddy. These are all vignettes that they played like over like a three or four week span. It was fucking terrible and awful. And as hokey as you could, I'm not even doing it justice right now. It was so hokey. So Foley's pissed in real life because he's like this, I took a power bomb on the fucking concrete from your monster world champion.
3: Was okay. this the Excedrin number nine moment too, where Bobby even no, was no, just we'll get, like, or is that no. completely? That was another one.
2: That's later. That 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 is really what tipped Foley over the edge. But I'm glad you brought Got that it. up because that is a very big that is a very big touching point. Um, so Foley's mm. pissed off at this point because he's just yeah. like you. I wanted you guys to play this seriously and, and maybe have vignettes where I'm talking as a real human about how I didn't think I could continue, I didn't think, you know, I've never felt pain like that, he powerbombs Which he
1: would, it would have been amazing by Yes, the way,
2: and, and, but it. then that's when Foley kind of started realizing that I don't think I'm in their long term plan, so I'll let you go no. I'll let you continue on Dave, but this is where it started to creep into Foley's head like <clears throat> I think they're just fucking using me, I don't think they have any long term plans.
0: Jack, Cactus Jack Why
5: do you call me by that name? Oh, I see. Swampy. He told you my name was Jack. But I'm just a simple sailor with no name. I'm afraid Swampy's a bit adrift. Too much shore leave.
4: There's your Jack. Now where's mine? Oh. I told you weren't going to like what you see. I'm out of
5: here. And where might that be, matey? To the bottom of a bottle?
4: him better, and he was a wrestler.
5: You can always come to me for money, but not to spend on alcohol, Wendell. I hate
0: that name. Jack.
3: Doesn't the name Cactus Jack mean anything to you? Oh,
5: some have called me that name before, but I'm afraid they're sailing by a different compass. There must be
1: someone out there who looks like me.
5: There ain't nobody like me. But he
1: them. but he was still a company and man, he did what he was right, told, yes, right? Yeah. He would return in September of My '93, house. vowing revenge oh, on question. Vader. At Halloway- he remembered Halloway- remember who
2: he was. He lost the amnesia and uh, oh, yeah. 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 His kids okay. His kids are okay.
1: Yeah, his kids and his wife are fine. Oh, okay. He moved back in. They got. They got. They all got to check. They were. Uh, yeah.
2: Yeah. <laughs>
1: so Cactus and Vader would main event uh, the card in a Texas Death Match. This was one of the most brutal matches from an American wrestling promotion. Cactus would lose the bout due to Harley Race shocking him with a cattle prod. By the way. So yeah,
2: that this is the main event of Halloween Havoc ninety three, the big payoff. And uh
1: mm-hmm.
2: holy shit, like you can watch that match to this day, and that was <laughs> that's still one of the most brutal matches I've ever seen, uh, between Vader and Cactus. And definitely at the time Um, the the most violent wrestling match I think American wrestling have had ever produced, like on this continent. You know, Japan had been doing a lot of you know barbed wire shit and stuff. We'll get to later, but this for a U.S. promotion, WCW, like to put something this violent out. It was it was brutal, and there's a spot, Craig, that I'll let you talk about on the rampway. Um, that to this day I can still watch, and it just takes my
3: breath away. It really took Foley's breath away, but it takes my breath away. Yeah, we wore out probably a couple of VCRs uh, just rewinding this spot. It's uh, Vader and Cactus on the rampway, in the middle of the rampway, that kind of hard. It was Mike, but it's just that thud of plywood and whatever. It was just, it had no give, it had carpet on it. Uh, Mick Foley uh, was piggybacking, had jumped on Vader's back, if I recall correctly. And Vader, um, just, you can talk about it a thousand times and analyze it and have mythbusters go through it there's just no way you can protect mcfoley on this spot at all because vader just jumps up kicks his legs out and puts the full force of his 350 400 pounds on kind of the chest and body of mcfoley on that hard ramp and the sound of the sickening thud that that massive humanity hits that uh, on that kind of rampway like a and then just kind of the, the crowd just groaning. And I think there's a backstory of what and just, you I think um, Mick Foley whispers something in Vader's ear and what he wanted to happen. It's, there's just, it's, you have a full respect for it, but it's so unnecessary and there's just no protecting him whatsoever, protecting Mick Foley at all. And it was, it's just the sound. I'll never forget it
2: like Jesse Ventura was commentating with Shivani here and Jesse Ventura usually goes with the flow on everything and I'll never forget when they did that spot, Jesse just goes, whoa. And was like quiet. And Ventura's never usually at a loss for words and he was like, whoa. Like, and you could tell Shivani was like, "I." Shivani was like, not having it. He was just like, Shivani was all like sad and like just shocked like when he saw that spot. Yeah, Craig described it perfectly. And then Mick Foley yeah. in his book Have a Nice Day said that he whispered to Vader like like don't hold back or something like that. Like really fall back on me. Fuck me up. And, and Foley was so- boy. Yeah, he was yeah. just so discord. <laughs> He's like, You look fat all the time. He's like, <laughs> just fell back on him. So, you husky so fuck. I cause Foley was so upset with the way WCW had handled this, you know, with the with the corny skits that they made him do instead of making it realistic and all that. And he knew at this point, like, they don't have long term plans for me. Like they pretty much told him before the Halloween Havoc match, like, this is your guys' blow off you know, match. And he's like, what? Like, what are you talking about? Like we could wrestle for another year. Like
1: this is still, this is still hot. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that's when he knew that that
2: shit, that's when he knew it wasn't. So he was frustrated and pissed.
0: Later, carrying him back up to the runway, back to the graves again. Oh, falls back with him. Oh, whoa. That was 400 and some
5: pounds. Yeah. Watch out for race two. He broke some ribs here.
4: He had to break
5: some
0: ribs. <laughs> Vader with the chair. He's measuring him.
1: Well, he had a yeah, he had an inkling, right, because he would fall down the card over the next year. But in '94, Vader and Cactus would face off during a WCW tour of Germany. He was thrown over the top rope and he would get his neck caught between the rope, the top and the middle ropes. He'd done that spot several times, but he didn't have time to get used to this ring and the ropes were tighter than usual. This actual result uh, gets his ear almost completely ripped off. Right. And when he returns inside the ring, Vader just lands a blow that takes the ear off completely. Um, after that tour ended. Mick was convinced we can hype this. This is a real life situation. We could reunite the Cactus Jack and Vader feud. Um, however, Bischoff was like, uh, this is way too violent. It's not working. Um, he didn't think it had anything left. And this started, this started to strain. Like you said, this really started to strain between Foley and WCW, right?
2: So, and this is Craig and I, uh, Craig brought this up a little while ago, the Excedrin comment. Um, th- so they, they, he was pissed off because he told him, like, the guy ripped my ear off. We can do something. And Bischoff's like, listen, I'm trying to take this company a different direction. Now, I will defend Eric Bischoff. This is legit. This is sound. Bischoff is like, I, I'm going to a different direction with this company. We're, like, this close to hiring Hulk. And, you know, we're we're trying to be a little bit more family-oriented because we got to compete with Vince. We have to. Um, so we got to stop losing fucking money. This company has been bleeding money for since Turner bought it.
1: Yeah, they were they were hemorrhaging.
2: For yeah. Me. So, I mean, since 88, the company was losing money year after year. And so he's just like, look, I can't I'm not going to promote this kind of violence. I just don't have that place for you. I'm sorry. Like, it's just not going to happen. But they did allow them to have another match, Vader and Cactus on WCW Saturday night ironically a year before was when they did the whole powerbomb angle or whatever on the concrete. So Foley thought he would be slick and be like Vader powerbomb me again on the concrete. It's kind of like a year anniversary to it, like do it. And they have to like, they have to, give us the due they have to be like you know yes we're going to go with Vader and Cactus Cactus is still determined to change their mind so they power bomb it and he said he did the whole match or whatever um, after he got home and it aired like a week later because WCW Saturday Night was pre-taped he couldn't wait to watch it because he's like they cannot ignore how good Vader and I are going to be he said he watched the match the match was good here comes the power bomb spot here it comes like at the very least Shivani and Heenan who were the commentators have to acknowledge that one year ago, the same thing happened. Oh, my God. You know, do something to hype it up or whatever. He said, he power bombs me on the concrete floor. And all Bobby Heenan says was like, wow, talk about Excedrin headache number nine. A
4: reference to the injury of exactly one year ago yet. But now the story would surely unfold. Vader picked me up for the power bomb and sent me crashing down to the concrete. Splat. To tell you the truth, this one actually looked more devastating than the one in 93. I listened for the brilliant call. Sometimes the right words can really cement an image in the fans' minds. Here it comes. Bobby the Brain Heenan was the first to comment on this historic career-turning moment. That'll give you and headache number nine, said the Brain, with about as much raw naked emotion as Al Gore on sedatives. Indeed it will. And that was it. Added Tony. And
2: that's when he knew right there, like, they don't care about me. They don't see a future with me. They don't give a shit about the, what I'm doing with my body and how I'm, you know, trying to do something different for them and, and give them a different look. But I'm going to say it. I know it, it. this hurts, but think about every other wrestler besides cactus back then they were not doing what he was doing. Vader was hurting people, but cactus Jack was getting hurt and he was selling in a different way than most people were. I don't blame Eric Bischoff. I'm sorry. Like he had in 94, who did he have by this time? He had flair. They were going to get Hogan. Um, He had rude. He had sting. He had all these bright characters that, that could traditionally wrestle like a traditional wrestler would and getting Hogan and getting, all you got to start appealing to families at this point. He could not do it Foley was. It's easy to look back. And shit on Bischoff for that, but really, Foley was the like the anomaly. Is that the right word I'm looking for? He was the different. Yeah. He he stuck out in a weird way, not a bad way, but not a good way in the direction the company was going in.
1: So I, I I hate to say it, at the end of the day, if you're if you're hemorrhaging money every year, you're gonna look at your main event and you're gonna go, "This is not working." So yeah. what do I do to fix that? And and Mick Foley was not the problem right he was in he was in the problem, and at that point, I don't know if Bischoff could tell the difference so i would, I would never want to try to call him out for that
3: i, I will play i mean I'll on. play devil's advocate and say that a lot of people Vince McMahon, made a lot of money <laughs> by listening to Mick on ideas and fleshing things out, so if Mick had an idea and whether it's foam ears or doing the what (laughs) because you don't have an ear 20 minutes or uh, 20 years earlier, uh, 20 (laughs) minutes earlier, or doing something with the fact that the man is ripped off your ear. I think there was money to be made with it, but I completely understand the point of it's a little brutal. It's not PG. It's we need to sell some of our own kind of Southern ice cream bars here. I totally get it. And then I know we keep talking about his book. Um, One of the things that Foley did, which is impressive is I think uh, he wrote the um, the quintessential best wrestling bi- biography that's ever been done, and that's the first. Um, have a nice day. So if you have not read that, read that. Go back and read it. Get it from Amazon. It's God, fantastic. It reads
2: so well. It is. It, it reads so well. It's it's one of the best wrestling like documentaries I've ever read. Like, yeah, I think it's between it's amazing. that
3: and Bret Hart's kind of huge book. Um, it's like the, the the best of all time, but it was so different. The backstage stories, what's in the the man's head breaking out in the business. There's, it was the beginning of the, the big, the, the next few years of really cool wrestling biographies and Mick started it. I believe go back and kind of get his first two books. Um,
1: you you might not get a Jericho biography without a Foley biography. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
3: You know what? Actually, that's forget. That's very true. Jericho's got, Three very good ones, but I think that his first one came after that. But, yeah, very, I mean, very true. All yeah. of them. I think WWE kinda, books kinda, in general. Kinda, but it kind of starts with yeah. Nick
1: is what you're saying. Yeah, I get that. Um, even in spite of all that, he he would be part of some classic tag team matches in WCW, including an amazing street fight at
3: Stampede
1: uh, and Slambury. Sorry, two of them. He would win the WCW Tag Team Championship with Kevin Solo. Oh, God. God damn it. Yeah, I know. That's at that's what you know you're on the way out, for God damn it. Um, in 94, they defeated the Nasty Boys in a Philadelphia street. So
2: we covered, oh. we did a review of Slambury 94, which was the first one. The second one in uh, the second one. Oh, sorry. Spring Stampede. The second one was a month or a month and a half later at Slambury 94, where instead of Max Payne as his partner, he had Kevin <laughs> Sullivan. And uh, that was just as brutal. That match too. It was a Philadelphia like street fight and there was fucking hockey sticks and like, yeah, it was. <laughs> I can't do it justice. I I know we covered it in detail watching Spring Stampede 94 in our archives. Um, But uh, those two matches, man, again, the man just would not fucking be denied. Cool. You want to throw me down in the middle of the card? Then I'll do Falls Count Anywhere matches in the tag team division. And like so – and. Nasty boys were like perfect partners. Are like sounds good. Like what? What can I throw right. you off of? And he's like, uh, what? What won't you throw me off of? And yeah. that marriage made in right. heaven. They yeah, would
3: take it, but they would dish it. Yeah, yeah. It consistently was crazy. stealing the show. Right. Like so, these three. No yeah. matter what they did, and and how much they shit on him, and didn't push him, and underutilized him, consistently stole the show on all of these. Uh, go back just to watch all these tag matches and and Cactus and and Foley and everything he did during this period oh, God, in. Uh, in WCW. He steals the shot. Yeah.
0: Oh, and he catches up with the stick. There's a cover. One, two, three.
1: This is what's this is what's really interesting. During this time, Bischoff had an agreement with Paul Heyman to lend WCW talent to ECW. Foley goes on down there representing WCW. He brought his tag team title with him during an intense promo, uh, and and I really believe this is how Foley felt. So this is this is big, right? He actually spits on the WCW tag team championship while attempting to make a point. Eric Bischoff apparently takes this as an insult. He decides to part ways with Foley, and Foley actually loses a loser leaves WCW match at fall at Fall Brawl, excuse me, in September of ninety four to Kevin Kevin Sullivan. Sullivan. Yeah, it's a Kevin Sullivan. Jesus Christ!
2: Yeah, you know it's unfortunate. Look, like also to, to to piggyback on my point was Bischoff always gets the shit. Oh, what a fucking idiot! You fired Steve Austin. Oh man. Uh, oh, what a fucking idiot! You fired McFoley. Oh man. Um, why does Vince never get shit on? Vince lost Hall and Nash, and and let them walk. He
1: lost. He lost.
2: No, I don't okay. think I've ever heard any criticism of. Oh, Vince, you fucking idiot! They walked right over to WCW and made the NWO. What an idiot! Vince never gets critique like that, but Bischoff gets shit on. For firing Steve yeah, Austin, he lost Hogan. For firing Steve Austin and for letting Mick Foley go, but listen, let's be honest, and I will defend Bischoff here. I told, I talked about I the family direction they wanted to go into, but he was arguably Foley was more over than Austin was at this point in their careers. Sure. I mean, like, yeah. so they, they, there was no room for that hardcore. Stuff in WCW because he was going a different direction. And he wasn't the Mick Foley that we knew him to be. Like we saw so much more growth from him in the WWF afterwards because they had to in 96, 97 yeah. while WCW was beating and they the shit out listen. of them. They had while WCW the was thing. beating yeah. the shit out of them because he let two people go over to the competition. But yet Bischoff gets shit on for firing a nobody in Steve Austin. Let's be honest. Let's be honest. And a Hire mid card wrestler in Mick Foley, who did an unusual style See, that didn't yes, mesh with it, most
1: other styles. Like not not to get not to get too much off the subject, but Steve Austin will tell you legit. If he had not been fired, he would not have become Stone Cold Steve Austin because he would not have done the promo work with Paul Heyman. He would not have been able to have a voice in WWF soon WWE to say, I'm not the fucking ringmaster. This is not gonna work. Okay, figure it out. And he does figure it out. You would not, that would, if he had stayed with WCW, none of that would have happened. So, hey, Bischoff, just, I'm going to say thanks. Like, I don't Yeah, sure it all you. works out, right? Every, yeah.
3: every, it all works out. Yeah, all it all works reason. out
2: yeah and that's that's also the importance of having competition and two separate companies that don't own each other because you you can fucking do that so i've never really shit on bischoff for that because i'm like that's not fair to say nobody knew what austin was going to become come on the second coming of hulk hogan really when he when people saw him going (laughs) like people really went like that's the fucking that's hulk hogan number two right there you dumb shit like no nobody said that when foley got fired that's a guy that's going to play three characters and get thrown off a of hell in the cell and be super fucking famous. So, no, nobody knew that. Like nobody. So Bishop, I'm sorry. Bischoff gets a pass I'm not, on this I'm one. A,
1: I'm not that, I'm not that yeah. kind of guy. That's high it sucks like that.
2: because we're, we're so emotionally attached to Mick Foley. And we, we, we love him. We feel like we know him because he's that kind of guy. He seems personal, like that, and we've all read his books. Right. <laughs> sure. yeah. So like we just, we, and as we go through these notes, we're fucking, we're invested in him. Our, our heart is his heart. So yes, it's easy to, sure. to everything that he did with vader the, the the way he approached sting the way he was so like politically smart when the way he approached sting and talked to sting about this is what i want to do and here's how i want to wrestle it'll make you look good trust me like yes it's easy to get mad but at the time look at the landscape he had to go he i'm glad he went fuck like right like well you yeah. could
1: you could argue that if 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 stone if, uh, if austin and cactus don't leave you don't have a Monday Night war not not to the intensity that we well, had. Well, they're key players
2: right? that would, that, yeah. I mean, Hall and Nash had to go on one side and these two guys had to go on the other side right. and it just it yeah. worked.
3: Right. And for, even for, for Foley's own legacy, you spend a year and a half building your legacy as the uh, the king of hardcore, um, becoming immortal in ECW, cutting your chops and finding out what's important in Smoky Mountain and Japan and those kind of matches and building that uh, his reputation that kind of made him kind of succeed when he got hired by WWF. So who knows what could have happened, but I think uh, it's, it's good to be pushed out of the nest and get away and reinvent yourself a little bit and grind. And, you know, hey,
2: it's funny. Dave is going to cover, Dave is going to cover what you just talked about right now. And in my notes, it's a small yeah. paragraph. But as we cover this, I am going to constantly like reiterate that this time was the, the most, I, I don't even I don't even know if I can do it justice this time was so <laughs> crucial to Foley's growth as a performer here even though we talked about some great stuff and some great like mental angles he had in WCW and his philosophy was dead on and and whatever he needed this time before he went to WWF yeah. in ECW Smoky Mountain in Japan that Dave will lead us into right now well, like he needed yeah. it to grow. this is so fucking important yeah. to his legacy right here. it really is.
1: He actually appears on Jim Cornette's Smoky Mountain Wrestling at the end of 1994, and he wrestled their top stars there. In 95, Foley travels to IWA Japan. He competes against Terry Funk and, I'm sorry, help me with that. It's, is. yeah. Shoji?
2: Yeah, Soji, I'm sorry, Nakamaki, I think. Shoji yeah.
1: Nakamaki in the infamous death matches. These would become hot items on the tape trading market. I remember tape trading. Jess is infamous for tape trading uh, during this time frame. He got a lot of tapes that we would never see without it. Um, these were some of them. Explosions. I got I got
2: these death match uh, matches because I love Foley. So I got a lot of these. Go ahead, but we'll talk about.
1: It. Yeah, no, yeah, you're talking about explosions, glass, thumbtacks, barbed wire, chairs. These matches were brutal, and they further cemented Foley's reputation as a hard core wrestler. This changes the game for him.
2: This right? not, we talked about Terry Funk and, and uh uh Shoji <laughs> And those were the commonly traded matches. But there was also a a tournament they had in the IWA where every match in the tournament was a fucking death match. And one of the other people that he fought, he fought Terry Bam Bam Gordy. Um, Yeah, watch that today. That's
3: amazing. For those of
2: you who do not know Terry Bam Bam Gordy, he was he looked a little doy, but he was a cornbread country motherfucker. And he was part of the Freebirds, the original Freebirds. And that's where he got his, the majority of his fame from, but he was legitimately like 330, 340 pounds of like six foot five, like big country boy, not a defined muscle guy, just fucking big. Like he's one of those guys that are just like, excuse me. Like, you know, and then he's that guy, but Terry Gordy was very, very fucking gifted in the wrestling ring. And I remember being so fucking excited And horrified at the same time, watching their death match in IWA. Holy shit, man. Like, like, Gordy, I think, was kind of at the end of his career-ish here at this point. But he still performed well. He did no-sell a lot in this match. And it bothered me a little bit. Because I love Foley so much. I know how giving Mick is. And you should never no-sell against Mick. There's no fucking reason to ever shit on Mick like that. But Gordy was Gordy. He was known as his own fucking island, man. And so there... This fucking match, like, I I watched it a couple days ago in preparation for this, and I had forgotten some of the fucking spots there. You know how when Flair gets whipped into the buckle and he whips upside down, he runs on the apron on the outside, and he climbs up the rope, but the guy always cuts him off and then slams Flair from the top rope down? Gordy did the reverse to... Fully. He slammed him from the apron to the outside of the ring from the top rope. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I was like, what the fuck? When I, I forgot about that. And I was like, what the... I think my words were, what the fuck? Like I said it out loud. I was like, what the fuck? There was another spot where they built like this little... It was like a piece of plywood and they put two by fours around it as like a rim. So smartly so they could fill it with thumbtacks. So the thumbtacks wouldn't loosely fall all over the ring. Yeah. So it kept thumbtacks like in this little like
1: box or
3: it's like bowl. a handy like drink tray that you have on yeah. a coffee table, but, <laughs> but it, it was uh, from yeah. beginning to the end of the match. It was in smack dab in the middle of the ring with a thousand thumbtacks. I think almost glued <laughs> upside down in it to where every th- thumbtack. So it's always there and they have to whip each other around it unless you're going in it. It's,
2: yeah, and they did the drama where they try to yeah. push each other's face into it, and the guy would get free. So eventually, Foley's face ended up going into it. So he, fucking Gordy puts Foley's face on the thumbtacks, lays them on the thumbtacks, pushes them into the thumbtacks, then stands up and kicks McFoley's head to kick him into the fucking thumbtacks again
4: wearing those uh, cowboy boots to protect his uh, feet from those thumbtacks. Oh, his face is... Wrong. Oh, he stomps wow. his head right he in there. the
5: thumbtacks into the temple of Port Cappy Jack. Can you imagine the sting? Oh, Look at dear. him screaming.
3: Oh. Like an American History like, X curb stop.
0: Like, yes, in the yes.
2: Oh. And I was like, fuck me. Like, it was yeah. insane. they this got is in a baseball wire.
3: stadium in Japan. Yeah,
2: Yeah, yeah there's probably like 15,000 people like watching that shit. And it was like, Holy God, like, he holy-
3: gets busted open hard way. I think within the first couple of minutes, cause he's not protecting himself and Gordy's just popping him like right in the face. Yes. And he's so like, yeah. uh, he's, he always just allow people to just hit him in his eye and he must have a,
1: yeah. Mix. I like, just, yeah. Just, I don't do think it. Gordy was being a dick. I think no, Gordy no, was not at all.
3: probably Gordy was
2: surprised. Like, aren't you going to, you need to block yeah. this shit. Yeah, I'm are you really, put fucking, your hands up or? yeah. I'm but really going to fucking hit You, you, you
3: no it makes Like you watch that. Do I don't know that YouTube yeah. has some like guys commentating, which I think are probably put the tape together. But it shows a really cool promo from Foley before he goes in the ring with G- Gordy about like the King of the Death Match is not the one who knows the most moves. It's the guy that can take the most moves. <laughs> Instead of has a really cool <laughs> promo, <laughs> and then Gordy Such like a, a shot he cuts to Gordy and his promo is just like. I'm gonna kick his ass or like whatever it is yeah he <laughs> and then Gordy. Foley Foley goes over kind of even after that kind of curb stomp in and then it cuts to Foley saying like um he took it to me or like whatever and then ca- the camera catches Terry Gordy saying like he fucking got me he fucking got me and he's dropping F-bombs yeah. on camera and he was walking down he's like he's
2: like fuck he fucking beat me fuck. <laughs> like yeah. he just kept saying that like down like, the thing and I was like professional? It all came rushing back to me because I watched that match years and years ago when I tape traded and I knew it existed, so I had to search it out. And I was glad that I found a good quality of it on YouTube. It's really watchable. And uh, I mean, I'm talking about the quality. I don't know if you can, people out there listening, if you can stomach this shit. But like, yeah. And that wasn't even that. Funk and him had their match. Holy shit. Like, like, holy God. Uh, The other, the Shoji guy, they fucking had like, Boxes with g- sheets of glass in it, and they oh. would backdrop each other in it. Like, and then in, in the Terry Funk, that famous story from Have a Nice Day, they had explosions in the fucking match. And so, Foley didn't shower before he left. He had to get on a plane to go back to the United States and people kept, what is that smell? What's that smell on the plane? The entire ride home. It was his burning flesh because he got second degree burns on his fucking arm from, from being too close to an explosion of firework, you know? Uh, Cause like when they would backdrop each other, there were fireworks under the fucking, plywood or whatever the fuck they backdrop so they would launch a fireworks off so whenever you got backdrop through something <gasps> like it would fucking explode and so he fucking got too close I got second degree it's not funny but I have to last because yeah. it's so fucking violent I've had I a about. second
1: degree they are not fun it, he it, said he remembers
2: when he gets home he hugs funny. his wife and he's home and she's like what is that smell and he's like uh, he didn't have the heart to tell her but he had his sleeves pulled down so she couldn't see and he was like oh you know I think it was and he said I just haven't showered or something like that but she was talking about what's that smell it was his burning fucking flesh. Like, that's how insane his trip to Japan was. Like, it was fucking nuts. That (laughs) fucking four or five month period was some, fucking insane fucking dude brain,
1: bro jesus you don't have to be such a man oh
2: buddy. he was more than a man jesus christ this guy like mick foley mick you. foley so go ahead dave sorry oh, yeah. I, I i'm no, glad that good. craig when i he, were on the he same returns
1: page back to ecw and he feuds with sandman tommy dreamer and mikey wordbrecht that sounds like a goddamn disaster but he noticed a sign in the crowd that said kane dewey and this gives Foley the idea to cut a promo bashing the bloodthirsty ECW fan, saying it was crossing the line. He was talking about his family. He would go on to denounce hardcore wrestling. He would purposely wrestle clean and quote-unquote boring matches, complete with wear-down holds. Sounds like a Kevin Owens chin lock. <laughs> um, he would later join Raven's flock and finish out his ECW stint. On March 9th of
2: 1996. So, his ECW, I mean, you hear the things Austin would always say if I didn't go to Paul Heyman and ECW, I wouldn't have been able to cut my promo chops. And Foley was already super gifted. He'd already been in WCW at this point, obviously. Uh, and he was so gifted as a promo, but he got, he got, I'm going to say this and people are going to be like, what Jess? And I'm going to be like, I know. Right. Uh, he got on roads and flare level of promo in ECW. He, his promos in ECW and his work there is so profound and fantastic. And I know I sound corny for praising it like this or whatever, but it fuck, fuck me, man. Like, it's so good, and I watched a lot of the interviews this week prepping for this episode to bring it all back to me, and I'm just like, God, like, you. Know, I'm watching this shit from 1995 in 2020, and I'm like, you bury everybody like that today. And I know they do scripted shit, even AEW, which prides himself off non-scripted promos, and they're good. You do not know anything about cutting a promo If you haven't watched McFoley in 1995, you don't know shit about it. He was so good. The whole thing about Foley coming in was he befriended Tommy Dreamer in the storyline. And he wanted to go out of his way to tell Tommy Dreamer, I've came from WCW. That's the big land. He praised Eric Bischoff. Eric Bischoff is the greatest man I've ever known. Uh, I had to come here to this fucking... Wow. Yeah, he's great. It, it's so great, this character.
1: Straight shade, And bro. he's telling
2: Tommy Dreamer, "Do I see you wanting to go hardcore because you're listening to the fans like chanting you. They're, they're telling you to go hardcore. Don't do it, Tommy. They're scumbags. You want to know why they're scumbags? I saw a sign <laughs> that says Kane Dewey. That's my three-year-old son. I'm not even doing this justice. Go back. You just type in Mick Foley Kane Dewey promo yeah. and it'll come up. And it's it there. is. It's, it's almost seven minutes of this he did not stutter he did not fuck up a word every word was powerful every movement he made was so like oh my god like he again everybody talks about dusty Rhodes' hard time promo this rivals that i don't care what anybody says this is all Ric flair's amazing promos where he's talking about his diamond watches and this is what i do and his great line of ron garvin you've i've spilt more liquor yeah uh, I, I've spilt more liquor than money you've made in your life, or something like that. I, I butchered that line, but it was just one of Flair's great promos, you know. And Big uh, Foley here in '95 in ECW, fucking on par, maybe better in some cases. That's how good all of his promos were. My They're f-
5: adoring crowd and I saw two simple words that changed my life: Kane Dewey. Somebody had taken the time and the effort and the thought to make a sign that said Kane Dewey. And I saw other people around as every moment in my life stopped and focused in on that sign. And the pain that shot through my bigotti became a distant memory replaced by the pain that will be embedded in my skull till my dying day! Kane Dewey. Kane Dewey. Dewey Foley. He's a three-year-old boy.
3: You're sick, I think it's about finding your voice. You and he felt own. like he was underused he felt and felt slighted. And you take that energy and probably credit to Paul Heyman, you're doing six-minute, seven-minute takes in Paul Heyman's basement, I think. Did he live in Long Island and Queens or something in a basement with a backdrop? And he's, he's probably getting the best out of these guys. And Foley it's just channeled and over and over all again, of right? his energy and anger into these things and it's just pure art. And I thought of that when I was watching this promo. I was like, how many takes did they do of that? Is that just one take and that's all he had in him to do it? Like you just know he had build up and he thinks to say. And uh, he even says he's taking the the leap that he made to e- ECW. He says in the promo, he says like, and Dewey, my son keeps asking me, I want to go back to Atlanta. Why do we, can't we live in that Victorian house with a hundred thousand dollar contract? And instead I'm in some, um, some crap box in long Island now, like, and he just yeah. kind of channels all his ang. It's just, it's art, man. It's so good. Yeah. I mean, and it's it's a total, ob- yeah. Too. He
2: really fucking was pissed at WCW for misusing him. But instead he's like, what if I do the opposite? What if I miss it? And I love it. And people who think that I'm an instant fit in ECW because ECW was dirty and grimy and hardcorey, Right. So what, who better than Mick Foley to come in there? Um, so he's like, uh, and I think he wrestled a, a couple matches. One against Terry Funk, that was a hardcore match, and he used that to be like, in the crowd, I saw a sign that said Kane Dewey, like, <laughs> what? That's my three-year-old son. Do you know what it's like to have to go home, Daddy, Daddy? Like, and it was awesome. It's amazing. Yeah. Like, and then after that, so after he started doing that character, he did another famous promo called "I'm Hardcore," and he had his sports jacket on, a tie, and he had his hair back in a ponytail, <laughs> and he was like, "Hi, everyone." Mick Fo- or Cactus Jack here. No, scratch that. I'm talking to you as Mick Foley. You know, I've been on a road to correcting uh, the wrong of DCW fan or something like that. And, and he did this amazing thing where he was just like, you know, but I know everybody got, uh, I'm hardcore, right? I'm hardcore. I'm hardcore. Hey guys, look at my left ear. That's normal. Look at my right ear. Oh, it's gone. Cause I'm hardcore. I'm hardcore. And he kept doing this whole thing where he'd be like, Hey guys. And he would talk about his teeth. Oh, no. My teeth are gone because I'm hardcore. (laughs) I'm hardcore. Mocking the the ECW fan for chanting, I'm hardcore. You know, this is hardcore and everything. He was mocking them, but he was also like just playing the opposite. He was playing a heel. To go to ECW where that crowd is as hardcore as you could get, right? Everybody knows how boisterous they were. They were the ones that get the Observer Newsletter. They were the ones that fucking tape traded. They were the ones that fucking... We're sick of the WCW and WWF bubblegum cartoon character shit that they were cramming down our throats. Like they were tired of it. So here they get their hero. The, the hardcore comes to there. And that guy is like, Paul, what if I turn heel on your crowd? And Paul Heyman's like, I love it. Like, you know, and he's just like, I love it. Like, and it's just, <laughs> that's th- great. He had no fear. Most people would go in there and be like, I just love that your crowd accepts me. Oh God, I love ECW. But Foley's like, I mean, they're going to accept me. I'm fucking McFoley, Right. And not in an arrogant way. He's like, I, I just fucking got, you know, I got second degree burns on my fucking arm. Like I, I, I am hardcore, but I'm going to expose them and then flip it around on them and be like, you guys are disgusting. I want to be back there. I want to go back to WCW. I don't want to fucking be here. This is a fucking high school basement. Like, I don't fucking want to be here with you. Like, I'm not hardcore for you. You guys are disgusting. You want to cane my son. He's three. Like, it's it's this whole... I'm not even doing it justice. We're going to drop sound clips everywhere here. But I mean, like, holy shit. Like, this stuff is so... Like Until Craig said, time, it's I'm art. Put
5: up those fingers. Bang, bang! You see this ear here? It's all there. While this one... It's missing. So are my teeth, which makes me hardcore. I'm hardcore. I'm hardcore. Look, I can't even wear glasses because my ear's missing. I'm hardcore. I'm hardcore. That sounds good. Let me just put this pen behind my ear. Oops. It fell because I'm hardcore. I'm hardcore. I'm hardcore. Oh, pardon me. I seem to have got some watercress sandwich stuck in my teeth. Does anyone have some dental floss? Oh, never mind. <laughs> this will do the trick because, after all, I'm hardcore.
3: One an underrated moment too, I'm it was so funny. I was watching it. November from 2, Remember 1995. He, he
5: teams with Hardcore uh, fans. It's to
3: Funk North and Street. Dreamer versus Raven and Foley, and he's wearing. Mick Foley is wearing a airbrushed t-shirt that has dungeon of doom on it. Like you'd get it at Disneyland or an <laughs> amusement park. And on the t-shirt is butcher, which I don't know if it was, it was, was Brutus. Uh, what was he? Dungeon it was Brutus. He, was he yeah, it was Brutus. And then Kamala. And then, um, earthquake whatever earthquake was called in dungeon and doom and on the back just says dungeon and doom in text with a big airbrushed heart around it and it took me i was just could not take my eyes off at the whole match i was like he must be he's, enjo- he's great he enjoyed himself he en- he got some revenge um and i think he he learned his craft a bit and learned who he was and found his voice there you go and that's part
1: 1 of the legacy of Mick Foley hit us up on instagram at otp2019 Click on Linktree. You can find us on several platforms, including Apple, Spotify, SoundCloud, YouTube, iHeartRadio, and Stitcher. And don't forget, we are now part of the Wrestle Hub family, which is all about wrestling podcast. You can catch it on at the Wrestle Hub on YouTube and Instagram. This is Dave, Jess, and Craig with the OWP signing off.
0: Have a good one. And don't forget, you can catch us on all major streaming platforms, Spotify, SoundCloud, YouTube, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, and we are now part of Google Podcasts. That's right, you Android users. For those of you that prefer Android over any other device, you can now find us on Google Podcasts. Our Wrestling Podcast.